Well, the Zags hosted a high-ranking prospect in the class of 2025 during craziness in the kennel on Saturday. We're going to discuss his game and Gonzaga's recruiting strategy at large, all right here on the Locked On Zags podcast. Don't go away. You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to take you through another season of Gonzaga Hoops. If you're checking it out on YouTube, I decided to make it Jersey Week. Last yesterday, we wore the Marco Gonzalez jersey to celebrate the Mariners. Today, we're rocking the district uniforms for the Washington Wizards, Rui Hachimura. Excited to get to show off a little bit more of the jersey collection as the week goes on. If you are listening to this in podcast form and you haven't checked the show out on YouTube, just go to YouTube, search Locked on Zags. You'll see that big red subscribe button. Hit that. Check out all the videos, all the jerseys. Very, very much appreciate it. All right, so today we're talking craziness in the kennel. We're talking some recruiting updates. We're going to finish out the the show on an unfortunate note, talking about Jalen Suggs' most recent injury and how that impacts his career and the Orlando Magic. Starting on a more positive note, talking about the recruit that was spotted at craziness in the kennel. We knew Dusty Stromer, who is committed for the class of 2023. We knew he was going to be there. He was there with his father, took some pictures in the locker room, called it home. He's in, he's committed, he's ready to roll. No concern there for Dusty and the Zags in 2023. But we kind of figured there would be some more recruits there. The Zags often use craziness in the kennel as a good recruiting tactic, as an opportunity to get some guys in and kind of see the fan base and the excitement and how much fun the guys are having. Makes sense that it's a nice kind of recruiting hotbed opportunity for them. The latest player to be in attendance outside of Dusty Stromer was Nick Kamenia. Nick is a 2025 prospect, meaning he is just starting his sophomore year of high school. So a couple of years away from being a guy that would be a realistic out, you know, guy to, to end up in Spokane. Kind of unsure what exactly his profile looks like. Uh, what we do know is that he plays AAU ball with BTI Hoops, which is the same AAU squad that Colby Brooks a walk-on for the Zags team, who we're going to talk about a little bit more in the second segment. Uh, they played together. There was a picture of them with the coach for the AAU squad after the game or after the scrimmage. So Zags kind of pouncing on an opportunity to get a kid who hasn't garnered a ton of attention just yet. He has offers from Nebraska, offer from Stanford, Oscar offer, excuse me, from Southern Utah. But again, we're talking about a, an, a guy who just started, his, a kid who just started his sophomore year of high school. There's a long time between now and when he's ultimately eventually going to commit. He's going to get a lot more offers between now and then. We'll see him on more summer circuits, I'm sure, uh, as his high school career continues to develop. Uh, not a ton out there right now. 24-7 Sports is one of the only places that even has a list of 2025 prospects. He is currently 65th on that list. So there's some optimism, some enthusiasm around him, around his game, around what Kamenia could potentially bring to the Zags. I think it's a great opportunity to to make some connections. Clearly, uh, he now has, he already has a connection to Colby Brooks. Now he has a connection to Dusty Stromer. Uh, chatted with him during the game. He was sitting kind of right next to them. I think on the other side of Dusty's father is, I believe, where he was sitting based on what I saw on the broadcast. So, Uh, Exciting opportunity for the Zags to get a kid in who uh, 
you know, they're very early on. We've seen Gonzaga do this in the past where they kind of start talking to a kid a year or even 18 months before some of the bigger schools start even checking in on them. It's a, it's a way that the Zags have kind of stolen some high-profile recruits in the past. Uh, I know there's a very famous story of Shemek Karnowski getting reached out to by Duke and a couple of other programs like two weeks before he officially committed to Gonzaga, but he'd been on the Zags radar for years up to that point, to the point where he kind of, that was part of the reason he, he picked Gonzaga. Yeah, it was cool that Duke and these other schools were starting to show interest in him, but he was like, this is a program that's been talking to me for, for years at this point. So good to see the Zags are still potentially trying to to forge some of those early connections and really kind of get get their hands out there on as many guys as they possibly can to hopefully kind of beef up some of those recruiting classes, which is kind of what I want to talk about in the rest of the segment here. It was a Topic that I discussed on Mailbag Monday was the final question I addressed on Monday's episode. Also been talking about it a little bit on social media. So those of you who are on Twitter have probably already seen parts of this conversation. But Gonzaga is approaching recruiting differently. They're just not as invested in finding high school talent right now. They're more focused on using the transfer portal to replenish spots that need replenishing. It makes sense when you consider how many different guys on Gonzaga's roster are going to be in similar situations to what we saw last year. Well, we didn't know if Rasir Bolton was coming back. We didn't know if Julian Strother was coming back. We didn't know if Drew Timmy was coming back. There's going to be some some uncertainty next year. I think it's less likely. Rasir Bolton's not coming back. We know that. He's out of eligibility. Pretty unlikely that Drew Timmy and Julian Strother return, but both could. Even a guy like Anton Watson finishing his fourth year, he could he could return. There's no reason. There's It's not a guarantee that he's going to leave. Malachi Smith, he could return too. So there's going to be a lot of similar positions the Zags are going to be in next year. So it makes sense for them to kind of focus more on adding talent to their roster via the transfer portal as opposed to aggressively pursuing high school talent, which is less consistent, particularly these last few years. There's no dis- disrespect to the high schoolers right now or the future classes, but the, the COVID-19 classes are a bit more difficult to evaluate from a talent perspective. They're a bit more difficult to kind of project how these kids are going to be. And when you have the choice between adding high schoolers who are less easily projectable than they've been really in the Mark Few era versus being able to add players who are immediately eligible. There's over 1,400 of them the last couple of years who have entered the transfer portal. Gonzaga has, they haven't hit every single target that they've tried to, but for the most part, if they're looking to add a score first guard or a defensive center or whatever piece of the puzzle that Mark Few and their staff are trying to add, they're able to do it via the transfer portal. So it makes sense that that is the preferred way to roster build right now. Having said that, there is this kind of notion that the Zags have very little irons in the fire from a recruiting perspective, and that's not true. They have missed on a few of the targets that they've been looking at. The most notable one recently was Wesley Yates. Wesley Yates was a a priority target for the Zags, combo guard in the class of 2023 out of Beaumont, Texas. He listed the Zags in his top nine. He talked up Gonzaga. He talked up a lot of other schools that he visited as well. He ultimately canceled his visit to Spokane, announced on October 5th that he is going to the University of Washington. His cousin is Quincy Pondexter, Pondexter, former NBA player, former UW player, currently on staff. Not saying that's the only reason that Wesley Yates went to Washington, but even if it was the only reason he went to Washington, that's totally fine. He's going to be a he's going to be a really good player in Mike Hopkins system. I you know, I think that UW is not necessarily the 
the place I would go. Let's put it that way. But I understand why he made that decision. Family is important. He's going to be a high-level scorer in Hopkins' system. We'll see how he adjusts defensively to the zone defense. But this is a guy that the Zags were in on and they just didn't get. And that happens. Every single year that happens. That's just a part of how this recruiting process goes. But the Zags still have their their name out there on a lot of other high-profile players. I count three other players in 2023 who are uncommitted, who we know the Zags are interested in. One of those is Caden Cooper. Caden Cooper has been on the radar for a while. He was at that Formula Zero camp alongside Hunter Salas, alongside a couple other Gonzaga targets as Damian Lillard led camp in Portland in early August. Caden Cooper was there. He listed the Zags in his top 10. He's been to visits to LSU, to Alabama, a couple other places. I'm not sure exactly where Gonzaga has landed right now on his interest list. We haven't heard a firm update, but he is a high-level, very athletic wing player, would be a huge addition for the Zags. Beyond that, Alex Tui is an Australian prospect at the NBA Global Academy in Australia. Potentially, Mark Few kind of picking off a piece that would normally go to St. Mary's as they have been extremely active in the Australian market. This is a great player as well, another guy that would be a huge piece for the Zags. A.J. Johnson is the highest-ranked player in the class of 2023. That is uncommitted. That has Gonzaga at least on the radar. They've visited with him. They've talked to him. Not a ton of momentum right now at this point, but... We've still seen the Zags show interest in a lot of players in 2023. That's not to even say 2024 and 2025, there, there are plenty of guys out there. Carter Bryant, Didon Thomas, who is taking an official visit to Spokane in early November. That is happening. He's going to be on campus. He's a high-level prospect, a potential reclassification candidate to 2023 as well. Then you have Zoom Diallo from Curtis High School in Tacoma. He received an offer from the Zags after visiting in early September. And then Jamari Phillips is a guard prospect from the Southern California area. Big Jalen Suggs fan. He created a top six list and the Zags are on that. So there's a lot of players that could still come to Gonzaga. I think that there's some some concern, some anxiety around Gonzaga's recruiting classes because they only had one in 2022 in Braden Huff. They only have one so far in 2023. There are zero beyond that, although that's not all that atypical for the Zags. I still think there's some kind of stress about it. And for me, because Gonzaga can rebuild through the transfer portal in a way that they have not been able to do previously, and because these high school classes are a little bit more difficult to project because of the missed time because of COVID-19, and the fact that the Zags do have their name out on a handful of really good prospects in 23 and 24 is kind of my my way, my long-winded way of saying I'm not concerned about Gonzaga's recruiting. I can promise you the staff is not concerned about the recruiting. I think this team is in a great position to continue to build their roster using high school recruits, using international recruits, and using the transfer portal. The best teams use a little bit of all three. The Zags have continued to do a really good job of putting together highly competitive rosters year in and year out. I have no reason to believe that that's going to change. All right, well, we're going to come back in the second segment, and we're going to talk about craziness in the kennel. We're going to talk about five key takeaways that I had from watching the event. It was a short scrimmage game. You don't want to glean too much from events like that. It's mostly just service for the fans. But we're still going to talk about what I saw, the five key things that I'm taking forward from this event. Before we get there, though, I want to tell you all about Upside. From cringing at the pump to getting an eye-popping check at your favorite restaurant, inflation is hitting us all where it hurts. And it really hurts. That's why I started using Upside. Upside is an incredible app for anyone who buys gas, groceries, or dines out. 
With every purchase, I'm earning cash back thanks to Upside. The app is crazy easy to use and there's no catch. To get started, download the free Upside app. Use my promo code LOCKED and get $5 or more cash back on your first purchase of $10 or more. Next, claim an offer for whatever you're buying on Upside. Check in at the business, pay as usual with a credit or debit card, and you get paid. In comparison to credit card rewards or loyalty programs, you can earn three times more cash back with Upside. Upside users are earning more than a million dollars every week. That's part of why they have a 4.8 star rating on the App Store. Download the free Upside app and use promo code LOCKED to get $5 or more cash back on your first purchase of $10 or more. That's $5 or more cash back on your first purchase of $10 and up using code LOCKED. All right, segment two. Still 80 patents, still locked on Zags. We're talking craziness in the kennel. For those of you who are able to watch, and for those of you who are not able to watch, we're going to take a look at five takeaways that I had from the event, what they could mean for this Gonzaga basketball program going forward. We're just going to get right into them. Number one, the biggest takeaway that I had from this event, Ben Gregg's going to play. Ben Gregg is going to find a way to play meaningful minutes this season. I've kind of mentioned on, on the mailbag episode that in some ways coach speak and what the coaches say is not something you want to take too seriously in the sense that Mark Few is not going to sit here and tell you his exact guard rotation, his exact front court rotation, when they're going to do substitutions, how many minutes each guy is going to play. Like Those are not conversations that are going to happen. Mark Few can't cannot, will not, should not provide that kind of information. He also doesn't know the answers to those questions at this point. That's why they still got some work to do. But I do think that when coaches go out of their way to to really praise guys, that's notable. Mark Few, Brian Michelson, etc., they've done this in the past where if they're talking about a guy either unprompted or not, not just kind of your generic answer, I think that that's worth paying attention to. And the way that Brian Michelson talked about Ben Gregg is notable to me. They went, He went out of his way to talk about how hard Ben's been working, how physically he has improved, his, his body has gotten better, he's gotten stronger, he's gotten bigger, he's gotten faster, he's gotten leaner. They talked about his conditioning, they talked about his strength. It really, if you guys were watching, anybody who was watching or listening kind of heard this, I think you know what I'm talking about. It was a different than just your traditional, like, yeah, we're excited about what he's going to bring to the team, et cetera, et cetera. Like, there was a little bit more emphasis, a little bit more legitimate excitement around the way that they talked about Ben Gregg. Beyond that, Ben looked very good in the scrimmage game. He played like 17 of 20 minutes. He hit the game-winning shot down in the paint. He was more aggressive looking for his shot. He looked better defensively. You don't want to take too much from that. Again, they they weren't playing their absolute hardest on defense. uh, And certainly, again, it was more of an event for the fans than it was anything else. But Ben looked good. He looked ready to go. He looked like a, a, a better version of the basketball player that we've seen him be in the last two years in Spokane. And I think that that's, that's notable. Now, Gonzaga still doesn't have a lot of room in the front court. Drew Timmy's going to play. He's going to play 30 minutes a night. We know that. The expectation at this point is that Julian Strother is going to play a huge majority of his minutes at the four. That has not been confirmed, and it's possible that that doesn't happen the way that many people are expecting it to. But it's kind of hard to see how it wouldn't because of the depth they have in the guard room. But either way, you still have Anton Watson. You still have Efton Reed. Those guys are going to play as well. 
Anton's played between about 18 and 20 minutes every year he's been in Spokane. I don't really expect that to change. I expect the majority of minutes that Drew Timmy is not on the basketball court, Efton Reed will be on the basketball court because of his size, because of his strength, his rebounding, his defensive instincts. Like, I think he's going to play most of the time that Drew Timmy's not playing. So if Efton's playing 12 to 15 minutes a night, if Anton's playing 18 minutes a night, if Strother's playing a lot of minutes at the four, it's kind of hard to figure out exactly where Ben is going to fit, but I am far more confident that he is going to be a bigger piece of the rotation than I initially projected because of how the coaching staff talked about him, because of how he performed during craziness in the kennel. All right, we're going to move on to my second note, I guess, my second takeaway. That's the way we'll phrase it. My second takeaway from the event, Colby Brooks looks like he could legitimately help this team. I don't think that he will because I don't think that there's really a room for a walk-on to, to take a large role. This rotation is already too deep. Mark Few is going to have to play nine. And even if he plays nine, somebody's going to get kind of squeezed. Like it's going to be hard to find playing time for everybody. Having said that, again, for folks who watch the scrimmage game, Colby Brooks, walk on. He's been at Gonzaga the last two years. He's played exactly zero minutes of action in those two years because Matthew Lang, because Will Graves, because Joe Few took up the playing time from the walk-ons with Lang and Graves out the door with Few hurt right now. There's an opportunity for a walk-on to step in and, and actually play. Again, I don't think that Brooks is going to play a legitimate role on a daily basis, but he could come in with three, four, five minutes to go in in more blowout type games, and I think he's going to look pretty good. I think you're going to your fans are going to be like, "Wow, this guy can really play," and maybe that leads to him transferring if if he gets the opportunity to. Maybe it doesn't. Who who, who knows exactly what the situation is? But I was excited to see Colby Brooks play well in that scrimmage game, and I'm excited to see him potentially get some minutes this year uh, in garbage time situations. Three more takeaways for me. Number three, Drew Timmy added to his bag. Drew Timmy, he hit his his first three-pointer, which was always huge to see him knock down an outside shot. That's obviously been a big detriment for Drew Timmy up to this point in his college career is his inability to consistently stretch the defense, consistently knock down threes. It's part of the reason he's still in college and not in the NBA right now, quite frankly. Uh, So not only did he make that shot, but we saw him take Efton Reed on the block a handful of times. We saw some quick turnaround, one-footed step backs, a a Dirk Nowitzki type shot, a Chet Holmgren type shot, maybe more likely where he learned it from. We, We just have seen a player who's elevated his offensive game in ways that he, he was already so good around the rim. He's already good on the low block. His footwork is just tremendous. But for him to be able to, obviously knocking down threes is huge, but to be able to hit 16, 17, 18 footers, to be able to hit them off one foot, to that, that makes him really, really tough to guard. Because not only do you have to worry about him right around the rim, but even if he gets the ball 15, 16, 17 feet away, he's not, you don't have, you can't sag off him. You can't just let him hit that shot. He's going to still beat you even if he's got a little bit more room. So I I just think this is such a a tremendous benefit for Drew Timmy. If he can do this in-game, if he can hit these 16-foot fadeaway shots, we don't need him taking them a ton because they're not the most efficient shot. But if he can get those to go down, that's going to only help the Zags and only help him professionally going forward. Two more takeaways. Number four, Nolan Hickman's outside shot looks really, really good. This is a big hinge for the Zags this year. Malachi Smith's going to hit threes. He's going to be a good outside shooter. He was 40% on a high usage rate at Chattanooga. Very unlikely that that number goes anywhere but up while he's in Spokane. Rasir Bolton shot 46% last year. There's a pretty good chance he's going to shoot around that again. Maybe not in exactly that high, but 
I don't expect it to drop much, if at all. So we're talking about a 42, 45% three-point shooter there. Similar for Malachi Smith, Julian Strother is going to be in that range. So this team's going to knock it down from deep. But if Nolan Hickman can contribute to that, if he is a steady outside shooter, a guy that you have to respect around the arc, that opens up things even more. It forces defenders to come farther away from Drew Timmy. It forces defenders to not be able as easily to double-team Drew Timmy, which we've seen what happens when teams don't double-team Drew Timmy. He can score 40 a night if they're not double-teaming him. But if they are, and every other player on the floor is a knockdown outside shooter, and in a lineup with Nolan Hickman, Malachi Smith, Rasir Bolton, and Julian Strother, that could very easily be a reality, especially if Hickman, who shot three for three in this scrimmage game, if he looks like that, or even close to that, I don't know how teams are going to defend this team at all. It's going to be really, really difficult to successfully double-team Drew Timmy and prevent this team from knocking down open shots. There's going to be some strategies, some ways that teams might figure out how to do it, but Nolan Hickman being a reliable outside shooter is a huge benefit to this team. And finally, my fifth takeaway from craziness in the kennel, Braden Huff, he's just not quite ready yet. And this isn't surprising and this isn't concerning. Uh, it's just a, a fact. He he looked a little bit rusty. He looked a little bit like he needs a year to get his legs under him. Most freshmen do. Most freshman bigs do. Very common. He participated in the skills challenge alongside Anton Watson, Julian Strother, Hunter Salas. Those are the four guys in the skills competition. He took some outside shots, big big left-handed kid, shot looked a little bit rough, missed quite a few of them. I can see the appeal. I think it's going to come. I think that missing a few shots in your first time playing in front of the kennel crowd in a non-competitive environment is not something that I'm going to concern myself all that much with, but... But I think it's notable that Braden, even in the scrimmage game, he didn't, he, he looked a little, he was a step slow. He was a little bit, he was still learning the offense, still learning how to implement everything. Again, it takes a lot of players multiple years to fully grasp Gonzaga's offensive and defensive schemes. So for him, it's not like we expected him to have it down. I don't think any of the newcomers have it down or even are that close to having it down right now. It takes some time. But I think with Huff, like, it's good news that the Zags don't need him this year. They have, I mean, we're talking about it's going to be hard for Ben Gregg to find playing time. We haven't even talked about Caden Perry, who is decidedly between Ben Gregg and Braden Huff on the depth chart right now. He's definitely ahead of Braden Huff. He's definitely behind Ben Gregg. But that means that Braden, there's really not a lot of urgency for him to, to need to be ready to play meaningful minutes this year. He's going to play. He's going to get his opportunities. He should. Uh, but the fact that we don't need him right now is probably a good thing because I think it's going to take him a little bit of, of, a, of a while to to get used to the college game, the speed of the game, the just the differences that come with playing in high school versus playing in college, and then also Gonzaga's specific system. I think he's going to fit it extremely well once he has kind of gotten all the pieces put together. But based on what we saw in this scrimmage game, that's that's not going to happen anytime super soon, and that's okay. All right, we're going to come back in the third and final segment of today's show. We're going to discuss Jalen Suggs' unfortunate foot injury, what that means for him and the Orlando Magic this season. But before we get there, I want to tell you all about Nissan. Our partners at Nissan have worked with us to create a new segment across the Lockdown College Network titled Thrilling Moments, where we highlight the most exciting play from the Zags' latest game or throughout the team's history. Gonzaga's season is obviously still a few weeks away, but personally, 
I was thrilled watching the shootout between Malachi Smith and Rasir Bolton during Craziness in the Kennel, the three-point contest on Saturday. If you guys missed this, it was kind of hard to tell who was winning. The, the broadcast team wasn't really announcing it. They weren't sure who was winning either. The camera kind of cut, kept cutting between Malachi Smith and Rasir Bolton. But you know what I can tell you? It didn't look like those guys were missing at all. They were both nails. Down the stretch, the final rack for the three-point shootout, it, it looked like both of them made every single shot or really close to it. We talked already a bit about what the three-point shooting is going to mean for this team, but those two guys, the veteran guards, coming in, knocking down shots, getting the crowd in a frenzy during a craziness-style event. Very, very fun to see that. Excited to see what it looks like for them in a real game. This segment has been inspired by the thrilling new designs featured across Nissan's new lineup of vehicles. Pursue what thrills you in the all-new Frontier, Armada, or Pathfinder today. Available now at NissanUSA.com. All right, segment three, still any patents, still locked on Zach. Still want to thank all of you who have made this show your first listen of the day, as well as those of you who are checking out the show on YouTube and looking to make sure you're seeing what I'm repping for the Jersey week that we got this week. Today, we're talking Jalen Suggs to close out the show is unfortunate news update on Suggs. Uh, he suffered a left knee capsule sprain and bone bruise during a during a preseason game on I believe Friday is when the injury was suffered. For those of you who missed this, he got pushed into Dorian Finney-Smith of the Dallas Mavericks by Spencer Dinwiddie also on Dallas. It, it didn't look it looked like the basketball play. I don't think it was super malicious on Dinwiddie's part. Uh, Suggs had some words. He let him know that he wasn't super hip, happy about what happened, but Anytime you get pushed from behind when you're not expecting it and you fall and hurt yourself, I can understand why you might be a little bit upset about that. Uh, the, the injury looked really bad. In real time, it was terrifying. He was unable to put any weight on his left leg. He was being carried off the court. It, it looked like he suffered a very, very potentially career-altering catastrophic injury. Fortunately, after he left the court, he went, he got x-rays, x-rays came back negative, they did an MRI, the MRI revealed the, as I said, left knee capsule sprain is the way that it is defined, and bone bruise. The Orlando Magic PR department released that there's not a timetable currently the way they described it as, it depends how he responds to treatment. So he's not getting surgery, there's not some immediate will you know we'll reevaluate in four weeks six weeks eight weeks whatever it may be right now they're going to put him on a treatment plan and they're going to see how he responds to that so there's not a firm update on Jalen Suggs's timeline but it, he's not going to start the season with the Orlando Magic the opening game for the Orlando Magic for the entire NBA is October 19th you are listening to this probably on October 11th either way roughly one week until the start of the season Suggs is not gonna be back in a week Hopefully, he is back before the end of the calendar year. Hopefully, he's back before like the halfway point of the NBA season. But it's really hard to know right now. It's really hard. I, I think it's overwhelmingly positive news that Jalen Suggs x-rays were negative. But it doesn't mean that he avoided a serious injury. This still is and could be a very serious injury. It, we just it's just not a broken knee. It's not it's not the absolute worst version of whatever injury this could have been. But it's still really frustrating for Suggs, a guy who just hasn't been able to stay healthy since he left after one season at Gonzaga. He only appeared in 48 games as a rookie. He had a fractured thumb on his right hand. He also had a right ankle sprain. He ended up getting surgery after the NBA season for a slight stress fracture in that ankle. So he was pretty beat up last year. 
We saw him play excellent defense. He was a really, really good defensive rookie uh, in his first season with Orlando. And we saw flashes of the offense. We saw him absolutely throw down some thunderous dunks, including one against the Chicago Bulls that I could watch on a daily basis if I wanted to. It was outstanding. But he didn't shoot it well. Something like, I think, 20%, 22% from three as a rookie, like 35% from the field. Just just missed a lot of shots he doesn't normally miss. Uh, was kind of took his time figuring out exactly how to fit into the offense. Part of that may have been just him getting used to the NBA game. Part of it may have been Orlando was dealing with some other injuries at other positions and seemed to be a little unsure what they wanted to do with him. Coming into this year, there's the expectation that he was going to have a more solidified role, be more comfortable in the NBA game, and potentially have a nice little kind of breakout season. Now that's up in the air. It's unclear exactly what's going to happen, what he's going to look like when he returns. Knee injuries are obviously something that they don't really go away entirely. Like his first game back, he's not going to be 100%. Uh, 100% is kind of is, is just a variable number that's going to change for him most likely because he's already dealt with, you know, surgery on his ankle, surgery or injury to his thumb. Now, not a surgery on his knee, but a, a serious injury to his knee. It's unfortunate. He's a really young kid who, you know, didn't have like a prior history of injuries or anything like that and has just had some really bad luck to start his NBA career. Hopefully this is the kind of thing that he can rebound from, get his mind right, get his body right, get back in in a couple of months or or whenever he's able to get back and and really start to showcase the dynamic offensive and defensive player that we know he's capable of being because we just haven't gotten a chance to see that yet. For the Zags, it's hard not to to feel a little down on this upcoming NBA season. Jalen Suggs is out right now. Chet Holmgren is, of course, going to miss the entire season after having Liz Frank surgery on his left foot. Uh, Corey Kispert is out right now with an injury as well. It sounds like Corey's going to be back probably within the first month of the NBA season or within the first six weeks or so of the NBA season. But regardless, three high-profile Zags, all who have joined the NBA in the last couple of years, All of them are going to be out to start the NBA season. That's frustrating. Zags fans are are very fortunate that we still get to see DeMontis Sabonis and Andrew Nembhard and Zach Collins and Kelly Olenek. And there's just a a laundry list of fantastic players in the NBA. Brandon Clark, Killian Tilly, a really excellent list. And it's just unfortunate that three of the most recent Zags, three guys that I'm extremely excited to see how they how they perform this season are going to be out at least for, for the first part of the year. All right, folks, that is going to do it for me today. Don't forget to check out the new website for written content, scorezagscore.com. More fun stuff coming here this week. we got more player previews. Going to talk about a couple of newcomers to the Zags, what they're going to bring to the team uh, right here on the Locked On Zags podcast. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Available on YouTube as well. Very close to that 1,000 subscriber mark. So if you're listening to this and you haven't done so, go to YouTube. Hit lock, search Locked On Zags, hit that subscribe button. You get my endless love and affection for doing so. Finally, I want to thank all of you who have made Locked On Zags your first listen of the day. Locked On WCC doesn't exist yet, but you can get more informed on the West Coast happenings by making Locked On Pac-12 your second listen of the day. Host Spencer McLaughlin and the local experts of Locked On take you across the Pac-12 in 30 minutes, five times per week. All right, thank you all for listening, and go Zags!